Welcome to Filed, a monthly conversation with those at the convergence of data privacy, data security, and governance. We're doing something a bit different this month. I wanted to share with you a one-on-one discussion with RecordPoint's VP of Engineering, Josh Mason, where we discuss data breaches and the role that real preparation can have in minimizing their impact. We originally published this as a video on our YouTube channel, but we've had an amazing feedback from that publishing, and I thought we should get this out onto our filed feed so the podcast listeners could be part of the discussion also. If you're missing my co-host Chris Brown, rest assured he'll be back next month. But until then, please enjoy this episode of Filed. Today, I am very excited to have our VP of Engineering, Joshua, Josh Mason. Joshua Mason, yeah. got that correct? Yeah. I'm going to let Josh introduce his amazing history and background. And we're going to dive today in a conversation around data breaches and, and some planning and thinking and conversations in that realm. But Josh, tell us about yourself. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Anthony. Yeah, so I've worked for a number of years now in the records management space right now. Before that, coming from service management from companies like Sherwell and Avanti Systems. I always like to think that service management is like a, a cousin to records management. And basically running really large global teams, working with the financial industry, working with healthcare companies, really across the gambit, government agencies at those places. And you're dealing with a lot of the same problems in, in, at, in the service management companies as you do in records management in terms of like yeah. understanding your IT domain and space like that. And before that, I spent a lot of time working almost 10 years in travel, uh, in corporate travel, luxury travel, and uh, a lot of that also jumping between full-time business intelligence companies. I worked at a really interesting company called 23 Touchpoints, which was, uh, we basically had built a pretty sophisticated uh, model that said, look, if we know 23 things about you, within a 90 degree percent of accuracy, we can predict where you might want to travel next. And we wow. proved that out and we yeah, made those services available to cruise lines and you know, travel partners and travel agencies who you know, needed that kind of information. And uh, yeah, before that, I spent a lot of time working at Getty Images and came from Microsoft. You know, we're here in Seattle right now. So any, any engineer and anybody in the tech space that's you have to you have to pass through Microsoft to, to kind of stay in the industry. So, yeah, so that's in my background. Yeah, and, and you, we've been working together for almost a couple of years now. And I know in, in your background, you've really focused on engineering, highly accurate, highly stable, large-scale applications, you know, and that, that's really this evolving space of data management and really needs those skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely here at... You know, what we do at Records Point, obviously, we're, we're connecting to a massive amount of systems, massive amounts of data, looking at petabyte volumes and billions of records and figuring out how do we move that data from the, the, the content source, how do we analyze that data, how do we enrich it and provide value, and how do we store it and, and maintain trust of that data, you know, on behalf of our customers. And that's really the same type of thing that I've been doing for the past 20 years at the other companies as well whether that was pulling in IT records or, you know, all the travel records for very large organizations. This is the same type of thing where you're, you know, you have to put a model in place and have controls in place to protect that data and scale to meet those kinds of, those kinds of demands. Oh, fantastic. And it's great having you as part of the team. Yeah. You know, I know everybody, everybody here is, absolutely enjoys working with you. Today, we obviously want to, on a deep dive for the audience around data breaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and you know the types of things we've been doing and the types of things we've been solving for customers when a data breach occurs. But I want to start at the very beginning of a data breach and kind of break it down for the audience around how you can think about setting yourself up when a breach happens. Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk later about how you might be able to create some precautions for those data breaches occurring. In your experience, you know, what have you seen the kind of classic breach? I mean, there's a, you know, I think the stats I was looking at earlier today is about 45% of all organizations out there have already had a data breach. Most of them haven't reported. And the expectation is that over 80% will have had a data breach by the end of 2025. And that's some data from Gartner. You know, uh, does that shape to your reality? And, and, and how do you see that evolving? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the amount of data breaches that are occurring is increasing. I think in 2022, there was 1,800 data breaches just in the U.S. alone. Another thing the U.S. probably isn't happy about leading the world on, but, you know, 4,000 breaches worldwide, 1,800 of them just Mm -hmm. in the U.S. with, you know, billions of documents that are that are that are floated out there into 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 the world, into the ether. So, yeah, I mean, as far as like once a breach occurs, there's some steps that you have to take to the first thing you want to do is be able to contain the breach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you really want to have in place is an incident response plan, that you've, you've kind of thought about these things beforehand and that you have identified who are the people that need to be involved in these conversations that you're going to pull together when the breach occurs. So people from your legal department, your account management team, your engineers, obviously. But you have those people recognized what their roles and responsibilities are and then yet you have a communication plan. The communication plan can be really tricky on what to do with the data breach, and that's because you know, you're trying to maintain public trust through this. So you know, when do you disclose? Do you disclose right away before you have all the information? Do you wait till it's more well known? You may have contractual obligations you've made with your customers mm-hmm. that are you know, force you to, uh, to give out this information. There's obviously regulatory and legal things that would force you to you know, get that information out there and disclose that information. And, and so you really have to have those things kind of figured out and know what you need to do in the moment. The other thing is that you need to have the actual, what are the response and mitigation things that you will do to contain, to, to contain a breach? Part of the thing that's going to determine the, the amount of money you're going to pay out in this breach, which are generally in the millions of dollars, the faster you can identify the breach occurred and contain it and reduce that scope, the less money it's going to cost. Right now, it's looking at you know the the cost of data breach report from IBM that they put out every year is looking at about one hundred and eighty dollars per record that is lost, you know that is that is leaked out there. So very expensive. So if you can if you can narrow it down quickly, you know you're going to reduce the overall expense. Being able to narrow it down also means that you know where the data is. But mm-hmm. I think we'll we'll get into into that in a, in, a, in a moment. And another thing about mitigating and containing is that you've made decisions as a company or like, what are the options that are available to you beforehand? Like, can you just pull the plug and shut the whole thing down? You don't want to spend, you know, if that, if it occurs in certain systems, you don't want to spend four or five hours waiting to get hold of the right people and approvals and things like that. You want to have that in place. So, so the companies that generally have the, the, that kind of incident response process in place is going to, is going to do, is going to be better off. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm answering this along here, but the, the last piece of this is having a you know an external partner that you have made arrangements with beforehand that provides incident response services and can do forensics and stuff is a really good thing. So companies like Mandiant is is one that I've used before at a previous company. 
even CrowdStrike has resources available, SecureWorks uh -huh. has people available. Because what's happened in the breach is that you've, you've lost public trust, right? So everything that you stayed out there and you put in the press afterwards is gonna be taken with a bit of a grain of salt. And so by having that third party who has also come in that's not only just helping you really, you know, maintain the records and do a mitigation, they're also helping you with some of those public statements as, as almost as a third party auditor to say that corrective actions have been taken and here's really the scope and it's been verified in an outside thing. And it's good to have those resources found ahead of time because cyber criminals unfortunately don't wait to do things only between nine to five during the week. So you want that relationship to be in place, you know, all the time. So if it happens in the weekend or after hours, you can you can make it happen. You can react. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, for an organization that's had a breach, they, they, they've, they've, they've executed their incident plan, you know, and they're, they're in the process of thinking about communicating to their different stakeholders, whether that's in contracts or whether that's customers or, or you know, even just constituents they may have interacted with. How do they get their hands around the impact? You know, how do you know what's occurred? What, how, do you, how do you get that analysis? Yeah. Yeah, so this is a, a big part to actually understanding what your data inventory is mm -hmm. um, and knowing where all of the data exists across your entire ecosystem, right? Where are all the databases, whether they're, you know, kind of on-prem within your own ecosystem and those database systems that exist, you know, out there in the cloud and within the SaaS systems. So it starts with that. That's one piece of it. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, now I know my data is across all of this. The next part is really this data discovery piece of really knowing, well, what are actually in those systems and what is the type of data that's in those systems? So you know, these are the systems and records that actually have personal identifiable information or payment card information that's actually stored in here. These and, are the for our, our yeah. uh, non-US yeah. uh, residents, that's PI information versus <laughs> PII information. <laughs> Thank you. Keep yes. Going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so. Having systems that can identify all those things. Yeah, social security numbers, phone numbers, addresses, you know, recognizing any of that type of thing. So you know where your more sensitive things are. And you can also direct your response, right? So that you're not trying to look everywhere at the thousand different sources. You're directing those responses to where your most sensitive data is, is, is mm -hmm. there, right? It allows you to then, you know, focus your efforts on, on those particular audit logs. Yep. Um, yeah. No, and, and I suppose, again, building on the layers here, You've now been able to discover the content, you know where it is, you've mapped yep. it, you've been very hygienic over those processes. What can you do to mitigate this kind of this risk in the future? So if we were to think about what are the things we could do to prevent, because in fact, in this stage around a data breach, prevention is far better than the cure. Yep. What are the kind of activities that we can go on to create some prevention mechanisms? Yeah. So I think in the it's kind of a broad question because there's so many there's yeah. so many things that we, that can be done here. If we if we kind of stay in the records management piece, you know, part of the the scope of impact and the and the size of the breach is going to be a lot based on the corpus of documents that was actually breached into. So, one important part of records management is actually having the disposition and having mm -hmm. um, disposition schedules in place so that you're eliminating documents and logs and other types of data in your in your environment so that they're not just sitting around to be picked up. You know, some, some of the data breaches from like from a Yahoo or Google where they've released, you know, 52 million, 350 million uh, records out into the market, those, that information is then getting picked up and used as stuffing attacks later where they take those same, you know, username and passwords and, and, and break into other systems. Many of those accounts closed for years just floating around in a system. So they're going to be paying that $180 per 
record, you know, for data that they didn't need to have around and shouldn't have around. Yeah. So it was costing them money to store it. It yeah. was costing them money when it was hacked. And yep. now it's going to cost them the money again to pay out on the, exactly. you know, the class action exactly. or the litigation. Yep. Um, you know, I think you, what, what are the wrap-up strategies then to, to kind of close this notion of data breaching out mm -hmm. that you know, companies can really think about in that prevention mechanism? You know, clearly, we talked about inventory. We talked about data disposal. But the one thing that, that I think uh, you know, is a gap there for a lot of organizations is actually having control. So having a control plane that allows you to understand and execute those things in a systematic way, is that your experience? And, and, and what did you do in your previous organizations or even here at Record Point to deal with that? For, yeah, for sure. The control plane is important because as you start to, one, try to classify all this information and these documents is how you're going to decide what kinds of things you need to retain and which things you need to get rid of. You have to classify it all. You have to set up the access controls in different systems and all the different security levels. So if you can imagine, like a previous organization worked with New York City Department mm -hmm. of Education very deeply in Los Angeles, County Office of Education. And just those two as an example, you know, they have over a thousand enterprise applications that they're utilizing just within those departments. And so you can imagine the volume of data. So you can imagine as a, as a records management person or IT person, trying to set up controls in a thousand different applications, trying to set up a classification system in a thousand different things, or how they tag and manage security are very different across all of those. Companies that try to manage that independently without having actually that single plane of glass and a single control plane are not gonna be very successful because they're going to miss something. It's impossible to keep them synchronized. Businesses change over time and trying to go, you know, business will change over time and then trying to go back to a thousand systems to make changes is impossible. So I think it's critical that Business, especially ones that have large amount numbers of enterprises, need a need a single control plane where they can integrate and pull things from all the different places that all the different data sources that they have. No, fantastic. Yeah. And, and a quick top three. Yeah. I always like a top three to, to wrap up a podcast or or, or the end of a filed live. Yeah. What do you think are the three things that, that organizations are getting wrong around data breaches? What would be your top three? I think not having an incident response plan and one that they've actually exercised. So you'll find that companies, a lot of times, they've, they've created an incident response plan, they have one kind of put together, generally mm -hmm. these are the things that they do, but they haven't actually, one, haven't reviewed it and updated it. Organizations change, that's something we have to recognize. And, and the processes and how we respond change over time as well. Yeah. And it's different to go through the exercise when you're not under the stress of an actual cyber attack than it is to do it in you know, outside of that pressure. So yeah, so running through those and that same cost of data report from IBM, you know, talks about that there's, I think it was like a 40% reduction, you know, millions of dollars in reductions to the total cost of the breach for companies that actually have an exercised incident response plan, not just one that's incident response. I think the second one in terms of like preparedness in some ways is, is not really doing a sufficient enough job around employee security awareness. A lot of companies will do, you know, a small amount of, I call it a small amount of training. You know, you watch the cartoon videos or kind of learn what phishing attacks are and, you know, how to do your passwords. Those, those and, tools are awful. Though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're awful. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> likes doing them. I mean, most people, you know, as soon yeah. as you get in, you're like, how do I just slide to the end of the video, right? How do I just get this done? And they're, they're barely reading it. And, and so what happens is, you know, again, if you're, if you're trying to also, if you truly want to understand your risk and you want to monitor your risk, it also doesn't provide a real way that you can measure your employee um, mm -hmm. 
security awareness and how, how good they are at it. And like you said earlier, um, you know, I think you said this earlier, but basically, you know, 50% of the attacks that, uh, that are coming in are through phishing type attacks and through your employees, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can use software like FishMe and Fished and Before, which are companies we've used, the benefit to those types of programs is that you do watch some of those videos. I would say they're a bit better with like, with like a Before. But the big benefit they come with it is that that they set up real actual training, right? Yeah. They, they, you can set up a campaign where they send actual phishing attacks to your staff and you can increase the difficulty of it. So they'll start off with, you know, sending a picture of a unicorn asking you for passwords, you know, and the employees are, you know, are going to, yeah, probably not. not I always give my password out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Probably won't disclose it. They'll forward it onto security and say this looked weird, right? But but then you crank that up over time, and eventually those phishing attacks look very close to like what a real cyber attack will look like, mm -hmm. which is it'll look like it comes from your logo, it looks like it came from your IT department, you know, but it's not. And then these systems know before will track how many people actually opened it, how many people interacted with it, yep. how many people actually disclosed their credentials. So, and I can tell you, working from companies, I've been very very surprised, even at a company that that's primarily engineering even to not have everybody pass you know pass those things and so this is a way to measure that risk and you know on an ongoing way and do the training targeted training on specific individuals maybe and then watching you know that that score increase not terrific so, yeah thank you for for going yeah. through that today i really appreciate the, the the insight that you bring through through a lot of the experience you've had yeah. if i can wrap up to say that you know with our ongoing series here at File. We're going to continue the, the conversation around data breaches and different approaches to data breaches. There's a whole plethora of activities I think that we didn't get a chance to discuss in, in, in what is a very short time for, for today's episode, but stay, stay connected, subscribe to what we're doing, and, and certainly you'll see more from us. But thank you very much, John. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thank you all for listening to this edition of Filed. We'll be back next month. I think Chris Brown's actually going to join us with more discussion on data privacy, data security, and governance. Please remember to follow us on social media and please share this podcast with all your colleagues and friends. If you get a chance, we'd love a rating in your favorite podcast app.